0: I've entitled today's sermon God's righteous judgment. Our text this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. Well, this is a passage today about persecution. And though persecution may be alien to us, um, affliction and suffering for belief in Christ and our testimony to him, well that's not a strange reality to many of our brothers and sisters around the world. There are thousands and thousands of Christians who know the reality of persecution firsthand. And all of us need to be prepared to give a testimony for Christ should we be called to give it in that way. And so I want us to look at our passage together today. And before we do that, let's ask the Lord's help as we read his word. Heavenly Father, this is your word. You meant it for our encouragement and for our benefit. You meant it for your glory. And so, Lord, we ask that you will do these things in us as we hear it And as we read it, and and as it is explained and applied, Lord, will you work it deeply into our hearts by the power of your Spirit. Open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 5. This is evident of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because of our testimony to you was believed. May God write the eternal truths of His word upon all of our hearts. About the year 156 A.D., right in the middle of the second century, an 86-year-old Christian pastor from Smyrna in Asia Minor, and that's really modern-day Turkey. He was arrested by a local Roman provincial ruler simply for being a Christian and also for refusing to worship the Emperor. This pastor's name was Polycarp. His name means, in the Greek, much fruit. And he had been appointed to be a pastor in this little city of Smyrna by the Apostle John. He was born about the year that Jerusalem fell, 70 A.D. And he was probably still in his 20s when the Apostle John died. Polycarp represents that generation of transition between the apostolic age into an age where there were no longer apostles. And Polycarp loved the Lord. And when the Roman, uh, local Roman ruler said to him, Well, unless you deny Jesus and worship the spirit of the emperor... I will throw you to the wild beast and I will burn you at the stake. But he refused to recant his love and his trust in the Lord Jesus. In fact, we have recorded for us by his congregation a year after he died the prayer that he prayed before he was burned at the stake. And in the middle of that prayer, he said, O Lord, I thank you that I have been counted worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. Now, you recognize the language there. Counted worthy because it comes right out of 2 Thessalonians. What has the Apostle Paul just said to them in verse 5? That you be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So is that how we would think about it? If God called us to suffer, to be afflicted, or even to die because of our love and our trust in the Lord Jesus? Well, many of our brothers and sisters around the world are being called upon to renounce their faith in Christ in order to avoid their death. That should cause us to to be uh, outraged um, that simply for believing in the Lord Jesus, you could be put to death. But as part of uh, our reaction also, Lord, we thank you that this brother or sister has been counted worthy to be numbered among the martyrs. Well, honestly, we don't tend to think that way. Michael Ramsden is the international director of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. He was speaking at a conference on world evangelism a number of years ago. And he said, there is no such thing as a closed country if you're willing to die for the gospel. Is that how you and I think about it? Is that how we think about affliction and persecution and possible death because of trusting in Jesus Christ and bearing witness to his name? Well, that view was pervasive in, the, in early Christianity. There was a recognition that it was a very significant blessing and gift from the Lord to be counted worthy to suffer for His name. And in this passage, Paul is talking about that to the Thessalonians. And it raises a very interesting question. Notice what he says in verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you be considered worthy. Of the kingdom of God. That's a strange statement to make because persecutions and trials seem to contradict the righteous judgment of God rather than to confirm it. I mean, think about it. Since God is sovereign and good, why in the world would he allow his people to suffer, be afflicted, and persecuted simply for believing in him? It seems to contradict the goodness of his judgment that his people would endure affliction. And be persecuted simply because of faithfulness to his name. That brings us to point one on our outline. That is God's just judgment is made manifest in the trials, afflictions, and persecutions of believers. Paul says here that God's righteous judgment is evidence. It's demonstrated. It's made manifest among the Thessalonians and in the Thessalonians, even in what they're suffering and what they're going through. And you have to ask the question, well, how? Paul, how exactly is God's righteous judgment manifest through that? You mean God's righteous judgment is manifest through these humble, uh, faithful Christians in Thessalonica in their suffering? Paul says yes. Now, that ought to make us a little curious. What does Paul mean by that? Well, look at um, uh, one verse ahead of the passage that we just read. Look at verse uh, 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul's talking about the fact that he's boasting about the Thessalonians to the other Christian churches. And what is he boasting about? Your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul's saying that God's just judgment is demonstrated, it's, it's made manifest, it's evidenced, it's proven in the Thessalonians, staying faithful keeping on believing, enduring steadfastly the trials and afflictions and persecutions that are encompassing them. Now, you still have to ask the question, well, how exactly, you know, how is God's just judgment made manifest in believers staying faithful and enduring through persecutions, afflictions, and trials? Well, Paul tells us two things in this passage. He wants to focus on that for a moment this morning. First of all, a believer's endurance under affliction and suffering justifies God's final judgment. Paul says that the faithful endurance of these Thessalonians under affliction and suffering and persecution is proof of God's righteous judgment in two ways. And the first way is it justifies God's final judgment. Now if you read the the Jewish rabbis from, from this time and maybe just a little bit earlier, well they had in their writings a number of places that the unjustly persecuted righteous person has a right to rejoice In that suffering, because God at his final judgment is going to make everything right. So that if we suffer in this life, we'll be liberated from that suffering in the life to come. But Paul's actually saying something more than that here. Paul's saying that in the very suffering that the righteous endure, God's judgment in the final judgment is justified. Why is that? Well, because sin cannot triumph in God's moral universe. And those who unjustly afflict the righteous must be punished. So Paul's saying, Thessalonians, even as you in faith and steadfastness endure unjust suffering, you justify God's final judgment. What's one of the doctrines that people hate the most today? Well, this doctrine of God's final judgment. And why do they hate that? One of the reasons they hate it is because they say, well, that's not That's not fair. Uh, You know, God ought to forgive everybody based on their own merit. God ought to bless everybody based on their own merit. God ought to accept everyone based on their own merit. So it is cruel, it's wrong, it's unfair to talk about God judging the world. Well, here's the Apostle Paul saying, "...in the face of unjust affliction, there is a moral demand that the afflictors be punished. And they have unjustly punished just believers." then justice demands that they themselves must be punished. You know, when you walk out of a, a courtroom today, most of the time people who walk out of a courtroom, well, one party says, well, the judge and the jury got it right, and the other party says the judge and the jury got it completely wrong. Well, on judgment day, willingly or not, grudgingly or not, everyone will have to admit the judge got it right. It was right for God to judge wrong. It was right for God to judge injustice. It was right for God to judge the afflictors of oppression and wrong and injustice in this world. Everybody will have to acknowledge that God was absolutely right and just to do that. The Apostle Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, The very fact that you're enduring under this unjust persecution justifies God's final judgment on all wickedness. But notice, by the way, that's not the only thing that Paul says here. ...that the afflictors had done. Not only have they they afflicted the innocent... ...notice the language of verse 8. They have also not known God. They have not obeyed the gospel. And whereas he commends... ...if you look down in verse 10... ...he commends the Thessalonians... ...for believing his testimony... ...that these afflictors have not believed. The afflictors have not known God. They have not obeyed the gospel. They have not believed Paul's testimony... And the Apostle Paul says that they will be judged. It kind of reminds us of Romans 1, doesn't it? Where it says, For although they knew they also, that they ought to worship God, they have chosen to worship the creature rather than the Creator. Though they have heard the command of the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, they have rejected the command. And though they've heard the testimony of Paul and the other apostles, there's no other name under heaven that's been given by which we may be saved but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they've rejected that testimony, and consequently they will be justly judged. It's very important for all of us to take that in. You know, we can sit here, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, week after week, year after year, and still not realize the solemnity of of that word. R.C. Sproul used to say, Right now counts forever. And refusing to know God, to believe the gospel, to accept the testimony of the apostles, well, that carries with it eternal consequences. Listen to the language Paul uses here. What's going to happen? It says, The Lord Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire and inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the Lord and from the glory of his might. It's very interesting that when that Roman official uh, captured Polycarp, questioned him, and demanded that he renounce Jesus and worship the spirit of the emperor, uh, the official said to him, Do you not know that if you will not do what I say, I will burn you with fire? Listen to what Polycarp said You may burn me with fire that lasts only for a while. But if you do not repent, you will burn in the fire that lasts forever. Let's take that in for just a moment. Paul is deadly serious about the just judgment that awaits all those who do not know God. Those who do not trust in Jesus, those who do not receive the gospel, those who do not believe in the good word of testimony that's been given by inspiration through him and through the other apostles. This is so important for all of us because you can hear the message of the gospel In Sunday school, you can hear it in corporate worship. Uh, As a child, you can hear the gospel in vacation Bible school and in your homes and your family devotions. And you can read about it, but it can also fall on deaf ears. Yet your response to that gospel will determine eternity for you. Here Paul focused on God's justice, which brings judgment on all those who are outside Christ. So those who afflict and persecute believers will be condemned, which is a sign of God's justice. But they'll also be condemned for their own sin and unbelief. Paul's warning of that in this passage. So we need to take that in. It's a very sober warning. So a believer's endurance under affliction and suffering proves, demonstrates, makes manifest the just judgment of God. But there's a second reason in this passage that the Apostle Paul says that the faith and the endurance of the Thessalonians under affliction and and suffering have proven, have demonstrated, have manifested the just judgment of God. And it is this. Paul says here that through their faith and their endurance in this affliction and suffering, second point on your outline, God is using even their affliction and suffering to sanctify them. And so that they will be considered worthy Of the kingdom of God. Turn to uh, with me in your in your Bibles to Acts chapter five, verse forty-one. Now, I want to challenge you to study this theme. We don't have time to look at all the passages in the New Testament this morning, but I challenge you to study this theme in the New Testament. I'm just going to reference a few passages. And as you read Acts five forty-one, you remember that the apostles there in that context they've been imprisoned, and they escape, and they go back to preaching. And then they're hauled before the Sanhedrin again, and the council beats them, they torture them, they threaten them, and they tell them, we're going to let you go, but you must stop preaching in Jesus' name. And then Acts 5.41, we're told their reaction. It says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's interesting that the New Testament Christians... The thought that suffering for the, the sake of the Lord Jesus, they, they looked upon that as a gift from God. So let's think about that for a moment. You remember what Paul says in Philippians? For to you it has been granted not only to believe, but also to suffer for His name. They viewed suffering for Christ as a gift. Just as they viewed faith as a gift from God, so suffering for Christ was a gift and here the apostle is saying lord we are unworthy men and we accept it as a gift that you've counted us worthy even though in and of ourselves we are not worthy you've counted us worthy to suffer for your sake you understand that the apostles expected to suffer i mean it was almost a problem for them that immediately after pentecost they didn't suffer no doubt they were a little bit afraid maybe and worried about that See, we get worried when we suffer, but they got worried because they didn't suffer. Now that they've been tortured for their faith, what do they do? Well, they go out praising God. Thank you, Lord, because you've already told us in Matthew chapter 5 that everyone who loves you is going to be persecuted for you. Thank you, Lord, that you've granted to us that we should suffer for your name. This is so foreign to us, isn't it? I mean, is that really your attitude and my attitude? And you know why that normally isn't our attitude? Well, for one, all of our lives in this country, we have not had to endure any real persecution. And also, we've been taught a version of Christianity that tells us that, well, God is here to make your life easy. He's like an add-on, so he can help you achieve all your goals. He's, he, he's here to help you get what you want and to make you healthy and wealthy. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Well, the second reason we don't tend to praise God for being counted worthy to suffer for His name is, well, honestly, we probably don't treasure the Lord Jesus enough. He, he really doesn't mean the world to us. But He meant the, the world to Paul. He meant the world to Peter. He meant the world to the apostles. So it was a privilege to suffer for him because he meant more to them than anything else. Just look at how he, he, it, this plays out in the, the New Testament. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Peter says there, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's the instruction from Peter, and he can speak from experience. He had suffered for the Lord, and his reaction was rejoicing just like Paul. And you remember when Paul's in prison there in Philippi, earthquake comes, the gates are open, the jailer's afraid because he thinks he's going to lose his prisoners, but but they're singing hymns, they're rejoicing, and why? Because just exactly what Peter said: rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. Think about what Paul says in Romans five. If you turn there and look at verse three, Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. There Paul's saying, Lord, you're so wonderful that you use our sufferings to sanctify us. That's amazing, isn't it? Our persecutors think this is going to break our spirit. It's going to turn us away from Christ. And it's going to prove their victory in the world. And yet you use all this to make us more like Jesus. You use it to grow us up in grace, to mature us in Christ. Then if you turn back again to First Peter, chapter 1, though, in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see this theme running. Throughout the New Testament, suffering for Jesus and yet rejoicing. Why is that? Because it's proof of God's righteous judgment. And it is a gift in which He declares you to be worthy of the kingdom. Meaning that our lifestyle, the manner in which we follow Jesus and live out our faith, demonstrates the gift of salvation that we have received. Because we are never worthy in and of ourselves. That is certainly not what He means. But by God's grace and the work of Holy Spirit in our lives, there's, there's evident fruit of our faith in Him. No wonder Polycarp prayed, Oh Lord, I thank you that you've counted me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. He's saying, Lord, thank you for your work in my life. Thank you that you saved me to the uttermost, that you've united me to Christ through the instrument of faith. And by the way, I want you to notice a parallel in that phrase, counted worthy because it's the same kind of language that Paul uses for justification where we are counted righteous, not because of our own righteousness, certainly not, but because of Christ. He says, I have been counted worthy, not that he has made me worthy. He's not declared that I am worthy in and of myself. No, this is a gift from the Lord. The Lord has counted me worthy to suffer for Christ. You see, it's the proof of God's grace, just like justification is the proof of God's grace. So Polycarp's not saying I'm acceptable to God because I am a martyr, because I died. He's saying the Lord has blessed me with the privilege of suffering and dying for his name. He's counted me worthy, even though I am not worthy. It's only because of the finished work of Jesus and my faith union with him. The Roman official said to Polycarp, If you will renounce Christ and offer incense to the emperor, I will let you go. All you have to do is recant his name, curse his name. You know what Polycarp said to him? He said, I have served my Lord for 86 years, and he has never once done me wrong. How can I blaspheme him now? Do with me what you will. Would that be your reaction and my reaction? Do you love the Lord Jesus that much? Are you convinced of his love for you? Does he mean more to you than anything else in this life? Dear friends, those are the Christians that God, those are the kinds of Christians God uses to change this world by his grace. And who knows how in our own time we may be called, especially those of you who are younger, you may be called upon to give testimony to the Lord Jesus. And it'll be my prayer that God, by His grace, will count us worthy to suffer for His name. Father, we thank You for this word. It's a very solemn word that we read. Lord, we ask that You would change us uh, for 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 Your glory and for our good. And so, Father, will You work in our hearts and lives even as we depart today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.